The epistle is from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning verse 1. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the, the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 21st chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. As we approach the end of the church year, we continue to focus on the second coming of Jesus Christ. And in these words of the gospel reading, the disciples ask Jesus a question, and then he begins to talk about the end times. But what he kind of does here that you need to be aware of is that he, he speaks of the end times as beginning right in the first century. And he speaks of a, of a situation, a historical event that takes place in about 70 AD when the temple is destroyed. But then he also jumps ahead to the end of time when Christ will return again. And so there's this going back and forth between the end times being uh, already inaugurated in the first century and then looking ahead to the future when he will come again. And so we listen to these words of Christ. While some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, Jesus said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And Jesus said, See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes, and in various places famines and pestilence, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up into the synagogues and prisons, and you'll be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. 
Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and a wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives." But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart. And let not those who are out in the country enter it, for these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas for these women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs and sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, strain up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Well, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning we continue our sermon series on the theme, The Real You. Two weeks ago we focused on being saints, and last week we discussed being soldiers of Christ. Today we focus on being children of God, an image that we often highlight and speak about. But in this message I want to focus on the fact that we are adopted children of the Lord. Now before we listen to the Word of God I do invite the children who are between the ages of 3 through 10 to go downstairs to study the Word of God in in the church with the... I see the John and heading out there. Okay, good. Very good. But listen to these words from Galatians where Paul talks about being children of God. He says, You are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different than a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by the Father. So also, when we were children... We were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son or a daughter. And since you are a son or a daughter... God has also made you an heir. For some people, the word adoption 
is synonymous with rejection and despised, unwanted problem. For others, the word adoption is synonymous with chosen, selected, wanted, solution. Adoption is indeed a splendid word when used in reference to adoption into God's family. As delightful as it is for orphans to be adopted into a family, it is even more joyful when we consider that spiritual orphans, that include you and me, are adopted into the family of God. All of us, every single one of us, need to be adopted into God's family because we are born as spiritual orphans. We are born fatherless, if you will. Although all people are created by God, none of us are by nature children in God's family. Our sin, inherited from our parents, creates a separation between us and our Heavenly Father. God acknowledges, or Jesus acknowledges this reality when he says, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. For flesh gives birth to flesh. We are people without a spiritual family. And that is the reason why we need a spiritual rebirth. John writes, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in Jesus' name, God gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of husband's will, but born of God. Many people who I've known over the years who've been adopted into a family express an inner drive to know who their biological parents are. Although they know that they are loved by their adopted mom and dad and they really appreciate them, many of these adoptees who I've spoken with over the years often go on a quest to find their biological parent. Similarly, we who are by nature spiritual orphans tend to be searching people. We're in search of our identity, our true identity. We long to know our origins. We want to know the real me by getting to know our spiritual parent, perhaps reaching out to him in order to find him, as, as it says in Acts 17. But unfortunately, many such orphans search in all the wrong places. They, they search in false religions, hoping to find this, this God who created them, or, or they're hoping that space exploration will discover the extraterrestrial mom or dad that they've never known. And such searches often lead to frustration, to dead ends. And some people will spend their whole life hunting for their parent, but never finding their roots and their identity in the one true God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Of the 400,000 children in foster care in the United States, more than 100,000 of them are waiting to be adopted. And they bounce from one foster family to another sometimes. And such children have special needs. Some may suffer from emotional and psychological pain. Some might have physical challenges. Some might be of mixed race. Some might come from large families where there's like four or five children that need to be adopted into a family. And many of these orphans, these foster children, find themselves longing to be chosen. They're wanted. 
They want to be wanted. They want to be loved. And they crave the security of a stable, permanent family home environment. There are even millions more who are spiritual orphans. Spiritual orphans living right here in the United States who are in need of God's adoptive family. There are millions of people in the United States and around the world longing to be chosen, longing to be wanted, longing to be loved, craving the security of a stable, permanent, and eternal relationship with the God who created them. And God wants them in his family. He wants people in his family who have special needs. He wants people in his family who are experiencing emotional and psychological pain. He wants people in his family who are struggling with physical shortcomings. He wants people in his family who are of mixed race. He wants all people to know him as their father. To adopt a child can be an expensive venture. Most adoptions from foster care are free, or the parents will sometimes incur a nominal fee, but they're free because the state pays for the adoption. But if you're working through an adoption agency or through a lawyer, and depending on the age and the situation of the child, a domestic adoption can cost as much as $50,000. What did it cost our Heavenly Father to adopt us into his family? Well, Paul writes, but when the time finally came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to pay the price to free those under the law, that we might be adopted as his full-fledged daughters and sons. For some parents, placing their children up for adoption is the hardest thing that they'll ever do in their life. Focus on the Family published an article a few years back in which a mother describes the anguish that she experienced as she turned over her newborn child for adoption. The mother says of her experience, When the doctors placed the baby on my stomach, I saw that I delivered a boy, and I started to cry. He's not my baby, I told the doctor. Is he being placed up for adoption? The doctor gently asked. As I nodded, the one of the nurses immediately came over to me. I'm an adoptive mother, she said, and you've done a wonderful thing. Thank you for giving him life. Her comments helped my breaking heart. We'd have 21 days after that to change our minds. The day that I was released from the hospital, I spent the morning in the nursery just holding the baby. And when Gary and the pastor Wilson arrived for our dedication service, I wasn't ready. Gary and I dressed the baby together and then the hospital administrator carried the baby into the private room. And I walked behind her. It was the longest walk of my life. In the dedication room, I held the baby again. I looked only at him and heard only the sound of my heart breaking. I gently placed the baby on a nearby sofa and I slowly walked out without even saying goodbye. My husband and I both cried all the way home. The next three weeks were filled with depression. I struggled with feelings that no mother in the world was as rotten as I. Gary and I went through a time of thinking that we should get the baby back. But as we prayed, we knew the Lord was telling us to leave things as they were 
as painful as our decision was, we know it was the right one. I find this mother's story heart-wrenching. One can scarcely imagine the trauma and the depression that she and her husband went through. I can only guess the love, the love that this mother and father had for their son, that they would place him, their own flesh and blood, into, into adoption so that he might have a better life. I may not understand the trauma that this mother and father went through, but our Heavenly Father understands the trauma that this couple endured. You see, the only way that we can find our true self, our true identity, is to be adopted into the family of God. And the only way that we can be adopted into His family is if our Heavenly Father does something about our sin that separates us from Him. And His solution to this dilemma, as mind-boggling as it may be, was to give up His own dearly beloved Son. St. Paul writes, When the time finally came, God sent His Son to be born of a woman, to be born under the law. Yes, our Heavenly Father gave up His Son into the care of Mary and His adoptive dad, Joseph, to nurture and raise Him throughout His life on earth. And then Jesus was placed into a family, and He, he had siblings, brothers and sisters, half-brothers and sisters, who didn't understand Him and who even thought that he was a little bit crazy at times. And then imagine the heartbreak of our Heavenly Father as he turned away from his son, as his son cried out to him, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, what great love our Father must have for us that he would make such a sacrifice. And oh, what great love Jesus has for us that he would allow himself to experience separation from his father for us. Deborah Silverstein, a therapist in private practice, observes, adoption is created through loss. Without loss, there is no adoption. And how true. What loss our Heavenly Father experienced what great loss Jesus experienced too, but through their losses, and they were willing to experience those losses, but through their losses, adoption into God's family has been gained for us. Now must we wait to be adopted into God's family? As some children wait and wait? No. There's no probation period. There's no age of accountability or discretion. Whether one day old or an elderly person in their 90s who's never experienced rebirth, when that spiritual orphan comes under the power and the direction of the Holy Spirit and holy baptism, he or she immediately becomes a God's adopted son or daughter. You are all sons of God and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. That's the real you. And that's the real me. Adopted sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. John, an adoptive child, shared, 
My parents first told me I was adopted when I was about three years old. And their way of dealing with it was telling me that I was specially chosen. And they went to a place where there were so many babies all over the place, but they wanted a special baby, and that was me. You and I are received into the family of God through holy baptism. The church, this congregation, is populated. We're all adopted, adopted daughters and sons in the family of God. And we, too, are specially chosen, specially chosen. We're wanted by our Heavenly Father. We're loved by our Heavenly Father. We are part of the God's family. That's who we are. And it's an identity that lasts not just for this life, but for eternity. And that's the real you. And that's the real me. That's who we are. Now, we may rebel against our Heavenly Father. We may go in search of another identity. A meme was posted on St. James' Facebook page yesterday. It said this, There is no one too broken or too far gone that they cannot come home to the Father's house. God's love for you remains the same. Maybe you are that wayward daughter or son. Maybe I'm speaking to someone right now who will listen to this message on the website. If I am speaking to you and you feel that you're unworthy to come into the house of the Lord, then please dispel that thought from your mind. Cast it as far away from as you can. Come back. Repent it. And you will find yourself embraced in the loving arms of your Heavenly Father and in the loving arms of your Savior, Jesus Christ. And you'll find that you're loved and accepted by your fellow adopted sisters and brothers in God's family. Our Heavenly Father will never stop loving us God says through St. Paul, because you are sons and daughters, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts to cry out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son or a daughter. And since you're His child, God has made you an heir. These are words of affirmation and assurance. Affirmation that we have received the Holy Spirit through holy baptism and through the hearing of the Word. Assurance that we are God's children. Even heirs, that's who we are. And as God's children, we are heirs of a priceless inheritance that awaits us all. We will dwell in the house of our Father, our Abba Father, forever. And in the meantime, we can enjoy all the blessings that God our Father bestows upon us in this life. Our family, our hobbies, our work, our food, our moments of peace and quiet, the enjoyment of art and music, the wonderment of creation. We can enjoy our identity and security of being in the family of God. We can enjoy the love and the care of our adopted brothers and sisters in Christ. We can gather in this place on Sundays and any other time of the week too to study God's word, to receive the Lord's Supper, to hear God's word of absolution, and to sing uplifting hymns and songs. And the list goes on and on. As the Lord blesses us, our Father blesses us each and every day. And as we enjoy the blessings of our Heavenly Father, we can serve Him by telling others how they too can be adopted into the household of God. And we can invite them to be a part of our family 
Adoption is not a negative word for us. Not at all. Adoption is a splendid and joyful, a joy-filled word for us. Because it's only through our adoption as children of God that we are, we are his daughters and sons. And that we can call him Abba, Daddy, my Daddy. That we can call him Abba, my Father. That's the real you. And that's the real me. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.